Hi, I'm Kenneth, and this is the Unspeakable Vice Podcast, where we talk about talking about sex. Sex is a dirty word. A taboo is something that just isn't talked about, and we're about to dig into why. So, I'm back from a little break, and wow, a lot of stuff happened while I was busy with my final exams. We had an attempted coup, a violent attack on the Capitol building. The word unprecedented hardly seems to do it justice. But enough about politics. As if everything else I am about to say isn't about politics, too. I think it's funny how people sometimes try to keep politics out of daily life because politics is divisive or it's not as important as a polite family dinner or whatever. But at some point, what happens in the public sphere matters. At some point, it becomes more than just a theoretical argument about trickle-down economics and social safety nets. At some point, people could get hurt, and they do. What I want to talk about today also involves people getting hurt, but in a different way. Uh, There was a lawsuit recently against Pornhub. Several victims of sexual abuse or assault, or in some cases just victims of having private videos made public, sued the the company for promoting harmful content related to their victimization. It's a troubling circumstance when a company is in the business of transmitting and monetizing videos that depict and glorify violence or illegal acts. And that's exactly what this lawsuit was about. The suit sought to stop this company from peddling harmful or illegal content. And Nicholas Kristof wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times. Kristoff is a smart guy with lots of great ideas, and a lot of the time I like what he has to say. But... This time, I have to disagree with him. Let me give you a brief summary first of what he said. Uh, His article talks about some of the victims of abuse that were involved in this Pornhub problem. They are gut-wrenching stories with varying levels of harm. Uh, One victim is dead now, he says, presumably because of the abuse they experienced in relation to videos that were posted on Pornhub. Other individuals were true victims of child sex trafficking. That is, they were kidnapped and raped for the purposes of financial gain. Kristoff summarizes the problem by saying that Pornhub is infested with rape videos. Obviously, Kristoff wants to do something about this problem. I mean, who doesn't? his proposed solution is that Pornhub should require documentation of models' age and consent so that they can verify everything is legal and not abusive. This seems to be pretty straightforward, and Kristoff seems to be asking for points that we can compromise in this way. In other words, not shut down Pornhub entirely. Verifying models' age and consent seems like the very least that the company could do to make sure that their practices are not promoting abuse. Now, I think this was actually part of the settlement. Uh, Pornhub actually did pretty much what Kristoff was suggesting. To be specific, they already had a way for videos to be verified, and they just started enforcing it so that all videos on their site now have to go through this verification process. The staggering thing about this is the extent to which the enforcement went. They say they removed 13 million videos because they were not verified, and that left only 4 million videos on the site. Now, wait up. Stop the presses. Those 13 million videos were not abusive. They were not illegal. What they were 
was not verified. From what people are saying, there were actually a total of 118 videos containing child sexually abusive material, that is, videos with illegal content on the site over the past three years. Uh, the execs at Pornhub agree that this is 118 instances too many and that it's completely appropriate to do something about this. But this is where I have to stop and wonder, uh, if we're talking about silencing 13 million presumably legitimate voices to stop 118 instances of bad behavior, what are the consequences? Think about these 13 million videos. The ones that were not abusive or illegal or anything involving children or anything like that. Uh, the ones that were fine, except they were not verified. Why were they not verified? The obvious answer is that the person who uploaded it was up to no good. That's possible. But it's not the only possibility. Another possibility is that the person in the video wanted to share, but they didn't want to be identified. We all know that sexuality is already taboo. It's already shameful. So sharing a video of yourself doing sexual things can get you in trouble, even if it's totally legal. Imagine the school teacher who was fired because of a past career as an adult entertainer. Or the business exec who was outed as a pervert when it was discovered that he was into some kinky stuff. Or Anthony Weiner. It's a shame, because sharing a video of yourself is also a great way to reduce the shame against sexuality that is perfectly normal, healthy, and worthy of celebration. Another reason that people might not want to reveal their identities is that they are technically on the wrong side of the law, but really just trying to get by. Think of the illegal immigrant who works as a stripper to pay the bills or the escort who is paying their way through college by being paid for sex. Uh, these cases are not totally legal, and so maybe they shouldn't be encouraged, but they have absolutely nothing to do with child sexual abuse or sex trafficking. So there's clearly a chilling effect on speech, as the lawyers like to say. This is speech that would otherwise be protected by the First Amendment, but is being silenced because of this wide policy that blocked 13 million videos. The videos that are left are likely ones from larger professional producers and organized operations. And ironically, these larger businesses are more likely to have their own issues with abuse, like coercive labor practices, low wages, poor working conditions, and exploitation of workers in the industry. So this policy tends to silence the individuals in favor of the big producers. Instead of seeing real sex, Pornhub consumers are more likely to see fantasy, staged, and artificial depictions. And even if the policy does stop child exploitation, it may actually make adult exploitation worse. Once again, the result is a society, as a society, we are left unable to be open and honest about sex. When young, young folks have no legitimate sources of information about their developing sexuality, and they turn to Pornhub for answers, they'll only find fiction and staged depictions by actors. We've silenced the examples of real people doing real stuff. So... If after all that you're still thinking that it's worth it to protect those 118 kids, well, surely they deserve protection. But keep in mind that compared to the 118 troubling videos on Pornhub, Facebook 
reported having 84 million instances on their platform during the same time. 84 million. And what are we doing for those kids? Where's the lawsuit against Facebook? What's actually going on here is clearly not a crackdown on child pornography or a drastic measure to protect the children. In fact, it's another step in an ongoing effort to stamp out pornography in general. It was the same story with Backpage, with Craigslist, and on and on. These businesses are targeted because they promote sex, not because they are encouraging the abuse of children. Powerful forces and vested interests want sex to be controlled for the sake of controlling sex. They say that they are doing it to protect the children, but their methods say otherwise. Time and again, abuse is linked to pornography. Sex work is linked to sex trafficking. And, and so any effort to limit pornography or sex work is framed in the language of child sexual abuse and sex trafficking. The notion that these terms are synonymous is another weapon in the war on sex, the push to silence all of us from talking about this significant part of our lives. In a separate but unrelated issue is a recent call for the rollback of Section 230 protections for tech companies. This is a legal provision that essentially says that an internet company cannot be held responsible for content produced by someone else, even if it goes through their systems. Facebook, Reddit, and others have leaned heavily on this protection, claiming that they are not responsible for the things their users post. Let's look at exactly what the law says. So, uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher of any information provided by another information content provider. The law goes on to be precise that the service provider, or ISP, is not liable when they allow someone to post something that violates a law or a copyright or whatever. And it also says that they are not liable if they take action to remove the content that someone else posts. So there's protection on both sides. To use Twitter as an example, they're arguably not responsible if one of their users theoretically posts a tweet that calls for violence against a sitting vice president. And they're also not responsible if they choose to block that tweet either. The reason for this protection is, in the first case, to encourage free speech. If the ISPs were open to liability, they might be inclined to severely limit what can be posted. I mean, imagine if Twitter overnight deleted every tweet and account that doesn't have a blue check mark next to it, kind of like what Pornhub did to avoid liability. In the second case, the law hoped that even though they are not required to do so, ISPs would develop mechanisms to remove illegal postings that were clearly over the line. By indemnifying them from deleting content, they gave ISPs an ability to do some of their own policing without fear of repercussions. For the most part, this system has worked well. Companies are able to make thriving online communities that are accessible and open to everyone. I wouldn't call them bastions of free speech, but at least the barriers to free speech are relatively low. And some of the companies, with varying degrees of success, try to police the worst of their content. Although 84 million recent instances of child sexual abuse on Facebook would suggest that there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot. 
Unfortunately, Section 230 protections have slowly been eroding over time since the law went into effect. Some people have been prosecuted for failing to stop abusive content even when they should have been protected. Other companies have taken to blocking far more than what should have been necessary just to avoid liability, like Pornhub. I say this is unfortunate because I'm generally uncomfortable with the idea of private businesses being in the business of policing. When ISPs are encouraged or compelled to police the content of their users, they often set their own rules, and they often go far beyond the legal requirements and restrict what should be protected speech. It seems to me that when courts or legislators suggest that companies like Facebook should be responsible for their users, they are relinquishing the government's own responsibility to protect the welfare of their citizens. It's worth making a comparison to the physical world for this one. Large corporations, retail outlets, or landlords sometimes hire their own private security. But they're not required to, and these private forces always operate in a secondary capacity to government police forces. If there is a disturbance in the mall, for example, the private security's primary task is to call the police, not to intervene. Everyone expects the government police to keep them safe. So why is it different on Facebook? You say, but wait, they're totally different. There's millions of posts every day on Facebook, but at most there's maybe, what, a thousand people at the mall? How could somebody possibly police Facebook? And that's exactly Facebook's own argument. Facebook, the company, is much smaller than its user base compared to a mall that probably employs as many people as they serve in a day. So the mall is actually in a much better position to provide private security than Facebook is. But I'm not suggesting that either of them do. From a perspective of keeping a population safe, there are a few hundred million people in the U.S., and it's the same no matter what. Some of them are in the mall, some of them are on Facebook, but it's a constant number of people. Why can't the police be responsible for keeping people safe both online and in the mall? Obviously, this is a very complicated issue, as is policing in general. Many would argue that if we do things right in our communities, we wouldn't even need police in the first place. And clearly, the police in their present form are failing miserably at keeping communities safe anywhere. But my point is simply that we should not be looking to private companies, whether they're Facebook or AT&T or Chipotle, to police us. It's just a bad idea. Thanks for listening. <laughs>